We're not a jip outfit, Mr. Finchley. We're legitimate repairmen. But I'll tell you something about yourself. That TV set doesn't work because obviously you got in back of it and yanked out a lot of wires and I don't know what else. Now, a month ago, you called me over here to fix your portable radio because you threw it downstairs. That did not work properly either. Well, that's the point, Mr. Finchley. Why don't they work properly? Offhand, I'd say it's because you don't treat them properly. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And we hope that you guys uh, got done uh, gleeping over the last episode and your rage. Join us for this one. Oh, God, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I did not, and it's it's haunted me since. So hopefully you guys left the small small room that you're in, and you're now joining us here for this episode, which I uh, didn't ask Kevin directly before we started recording. I feel like we're going to feel similar about it. This is the strangest freaking episode so far that I've seen of the Twilight Zone. I'll just say that right now. Um, I I don't know if it's the strangest, but uh, it, it's it's definitely got a different vibe compared to the others. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this this is uh, season two, episode four, a thing about machines, which I like to call the uh, minimum overdrive. Minimum overdrive. Yeah. I was thinking about it. It's like I'm sure when Rod was done with this, he's like, what what is what should I title this? He's like, I don't know. It's just it's. It's a thing about machines. It's fine. That's good. Let's just go with it. Um, so air date was uh, October 28th, 1960. Uh, number one song at the time was I Want to Be Wanted by Brenda Lee. Uh, I just want to point out that the Twilight Zone skipped a week because of the presidential debates. So we missed uh, the drifter Save the Last Dance for Me as the number one song. And I love that song. So just wanted to mention that. Uh, well, num- that's that's why we skipped last week. That's right. Yeah. Uh, number one film is one of your favorites, The Magnificent Seven. Uh, mm-hmm. And then um, I couldn't find anything for the 28th, but the 25th, and this is very pertinent to this episode, uh, October 25th, 1960, the first fully electronic wristwatch, the Accutron 214, which that was my DJ name, was unveiled by the Bolova Watch Company along with a tiny watch battery to power it. Um, promoting the watch as the first instrument of the space age you can wear and use, um, Bolova added, it doesn't even tick, it hums. Uh, the watch itself went on sale uh, later in, in November, but the first fully electronic wristwatch, which I'm sure uh, Mr. Finchley would not approve of. So I, how loud does it hum? That sounds real annoying. <laughs> yeah, you just got to have a watch that's like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Every second, like that sounds, that sounds terrifying. It sounds like the future to me. Yeah, um, it sounds like a really dangerous watch too. <laughs> right. So I just think it was pertinent to uh, to what we're doing, and it, it, every time it would tick, it just be it would say something nasty to the owner if that owner was Bartlett Finchley. That's what I'll say about that. So anyway, that's all I got for the the air date, or roughly. Yep. So we'll jump into cast and crew here. 
This episode was directed by uh, David Oric McDermott, who we uh, talked about. He directed the episode Execution. Um, so you can go back to that episode, listen what we have to say about him. Um, the episode was written by Rod Serling. And uh, all right, I'll jump into the cast here. <laughs> we have Richard Hayden as Bartlett Finchley. Um, he was uh, he was an actor who mostly played the same role his entire career. He made a name for himself on radio doing the kind of snobbish, nasally character that he's doing in this. And it translated over into shows like Playhouse 90, um, Twilight Zone. And from there on, he ended up doing uh, Sound of Music. He was in Young Frankenstein, uh, but really made a name for himself playing pretty much that same snobby character. Yeah, and he was the caterpillar in uh, Alice in Wonderland. Just uh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then next up we have Barbara Stewart who plays Edith, his uh, secretary. She was in uh, another Bachelor Party reference. I yes. know uh, season one we had a few of those. Uh, she was also an airplane, which was what I think I recognized her from. Is she the um, one that says "I talk jive"? Is that the one? That she's the lady that's approached about trying to figure out what's going on with uh, some of the crew, the people on the plane. Is that's that- what I was thinking of because okay. that scene always cracks me up, <laughs> and uh, I it, that would have to be why I remember her from that because uh, I don't think it was that big of a character in Airplane, no. so it, it's got to be that. Um, and then she was probably most well known for she was uh, she had a reoccurring role on Gomer Pyle, the TV show. Yeah, she actually did a lot of work with um, like casting directors, and she did a lot of casting herself. So they asked her, like, you know, she's like, I, I, she basically get herself into a lot of productions because she already knew the people, and she did a lot of comedy stuff. And I just want to point out that she worked with the Three Stooges, which is kind of awesome. You know, yeah. Like, uh, and and to see her in Airplane, clearly she she knew comedic timing, and here she had some pretty good choice lines too. So she was, uh, it was fun seeing her talk to to Mr. Finchley. That seems like a casting agent you don't want. They're like, <laughs> oh, we got some roles. We're looking for some people. And she's like, oh, I can do it. Forget my clients. <laughs> yeah, and I'll get my finder's fee for myself. You know. Yeah. Yes. Um, then next up, we have uh, the famous Barney Phillips as the TV repairman, uh, who we talked about in the Purple Testament. But uh, everybody should know Barney Phillips. Um, such a great voice, too. Yeah, like at the beginning of this, it, there was something going on with the audio. It seemed overly clear. I wasn't sure if it was just where they recorded in in that mansion room, but his voice was really coming through strong. I was like, man, that guy's got such an awesome voice. Um, next up, we have Henry Beckman, who plays the policeman. Uh, he was in one other Twilight Zone, another one of those character actors that pops up in a ton of stuff. Um, probably my favorite, The Brood. And uh, every October, I like to do a list of unseen kind of famous horror movies that I haven't seen. And uh, he was in one called Devil's Time, Devil Times Five, which I put on my list for this year. So nice. I was excited to see him pop up. Uh, yeah, I just want to mention real quickly, Barney Phillips. I don't know if we talked about this previously. He was in an episode of Hawaiian Eye and Johnny Midnight. So he is the connection to all oh. things. Um, and then nice. Henry Beckman, Twilight Zone, Hawaiian Eye, and Johnny, Johnny Midnight. Midnight. That's that's the trifecta right there. Um, and Henry Beckman was uh, uh, he was also in that '80s Fox series Werewolf, which we've talked about before. 
um, the one that you know you were excited to find out about, and also an yeah. episode of My Living which, Doll. Which I don't we, know if I, what was that. I'm sorry. He was also an episode of that 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 horrible show, My Living Doll, that we uh, talked oh, about with yeah. King Nine, where that guy left the show. You know, and then yeah. So My Living Doll showed up a couple times as a reference on this episode on Twilight Zone. Yeah, I don't know if I told you when we were at the uh, Wizard World here in Cleveland, one of the booths that was selling like a bunch of the TV show bootlegs had the complete werewolf series for like $30. That, <laughs> that's like that's like $10, sorry, $20 too much. Yeah, exactly, for for DVD-Rs too. But I was tempted. I was tempted. Like I want to believe it was like a LimeWire rip and it was just like really low resolution and it's just like <laughs> it's all pixelated. Yeah. <laughs> like $30. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah. Um so yeah, good luck finding me. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that's it. Like there's other like there was some people here and there but they really didn't do much else in the episode. Just, that's pretty much it though. I, I just want to mention uh Margarita Cordova as girl on TV just cuz I wanted to say her name. <laughs> and she was good. Like I know she didn't get much to do. Um and we'll talk about more about her like it's just there's something about her line delivery when you get to what's going on it is is very very unnerving. Yeah. Arguably the best part of this episode. Yes. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's our, that's our cast. That's our crew or not crew. I, yeah. And best grip. No, I don't know who that'd be, but yeah, yeah. let's just get to, let's get to this early. <laughs> this is Mr. Bartlett Finchley, age 48, a practicing sophisticate who writes very special and very precious things for gourmet magazines and the like. He's a bachelor and a recluse with few friends, only devotees and adherents to the cause of tart sophistry. He has no interest, save whatever current annoyances he can put his mind to. He has no purpose to his life, except the formulation of day-to-day opportunities to vent his wrath on mechanical contrivances of an age he abhors. In short, Mr. Bartlett Finchley is a malcontent, born either too late or too early in the century, and who, in just a moment, will enter a realm where muscles and the will to fight back are not limited to human beings. Next stop for Mr. Bartlett Finchley, the Twilight Zone. And I felt like he was trying to match the verbosity of the the main character there, and I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, there, man, there are a lot of words in the first fifteen minutes of this episode. <laughs> it's true. Uh, first off, I want to say uh, it's pretty easy to kick through a TV nowadays. Um, <laughs> like based on experience or just like observation? No, I mean screens are soft now. Like it, it's it's pretty. You could probably poke through if you press hard enough. Um, I, I don't know. We used to have an old, like wooden box TV. I don't know what you want to call it. Like an old TV, a tube TV. Um, yes, the tube TV, but like with the wooden box and the real thick glass screen and everything in our basement. And, um, those things were so thick. I don't like Mr. Finchley has to have the strongest legs out of any (laughs) of the characters we've seen so far in twilight zone. Yeah, I mean, you say that, and I put my note in here uh, before, I guess we're kind of jumping the gun, uh, no pun intended for what I'm about to say. Uh, I said, Finchley hates TVs like Elvis does, and like, so at the Rock Hall years ago, they had a whole Elvis thing, and they actually had one of the TVs he shot. It's like, that took a bullet, and the thing still, like, it just had some fracturing. It wasn't like the tube was completely gone, you know, so... He, um, yeah, Finchley is, uh, Finchley kicked it and broke one with a chair. Like he's got some, got some strength. Yeah. All right. Let's get into that. All right. So yeah, the opening scene, we, uh, get introduced to Bartlett Finchley, 
who, uh, as Serling says, he's a writer of sorts for uh, some undisclosed magazines. Um, and uh, we see that uh, Barney Phillips is there as the TV repairman fixing his uh, television set that he's uh, broken once again. And we find out that this is a reoccurring problem. Yeah. And I'll just say here, like, um, w- not to, to go too far ahead, but once you figure out what's going on with the episode, if if what's going on is what's going on, why are you getting the TV repaired repeatedly? That's all I got to ask. Like, if you think this is if, if you think that you if, if this is such a a worrisome issue for you, why are you paying money to have this repaired repeatedly and then have the repairman basically say, I think that you're abusing your electronics and I don't know why. You know, like it's almost like like someone comes over. It's just like you, you, you. Someone next door has a puppy mill, but it's just with TVs that they keep abusing. And you're like, I think there's a problem here. It's like just shut up, and take your money. You know? Yeah. Like I just, I'm confused by that. Yeah. So he basically gets in an argument that uh, he's like, ah, oh, you're just gonna charge me more money than this is worth, and he's upset that he has to fix it again. Which you do bring up an incredible point about this entire episode. I <laughs> uh, didn't even think about that. Um, but yeah, after he ends up leaving, um, there's the the, uh, the clock starts going off in the corner of his room, and he freaks out and ends up smashing it, and that's at the end of the scene there. Well, uh, the, but the, but as he pulls it out and throws it on the ground, it's still like even though it should mechanically not be doing, he pulls out like the bulk the the middle part of the clock. It keeps yeah. ringing, and um, as much as we're going to probably talk about the more goofier aspects of this episode, the idea of of objects still performing their function without an ability to do so is always going to creep me out. And that was very, it's like, it's like the ring thing where you unplug the TV and it turns back on. Yes. It's like never good. So yeah, he uh, breaks the, the, the the clock and eventually stops. And then, um, and then the intro happens with the, the TV. Well, actually, no, it's a freeze frame of, of of Finchley, which reminded me very much of like, um, Oh, uh, it's a wonderful life. Because then you had Sterling talking over top of this freeze frame, and then it cuts to and I, credit to season two finding very inventive ways of bringing Sterling into the episode. I, yeah. I, I love it; like it's actually him on a TV talking, uh, introducing the episode, and I, it's like it's such a simple gag, but I loved it. Yeah, it's it's charming, and I, I use that word a lot for some of these. Uh, but it, yeah, it's it's awesome that they're already uh, four episodes in resorting to finding interesting ways of putting him into the episodes. Um, all right. So then the next scene we got here, um, Finchley is working with his secretary and he starts going off on her about something and she decides that she's going to quit. She's like, I've had enough of this. You are, uh, I can't work with you. You're difficult to work with. You're mean. I'm leaving. Well, he and accuses so, her of like not typing fast enough, and he was like, "Well, you know, um, Thomas Jefferson wrote the uh, Declaration oh, yeah, of Independence like <laughs> like in a day." And she's like, "Why don't you hire Mr. Jefferson?" And it was great how like he was kind of giving her grief because she could only type so fast, and it's like you know she's just being berated by him, and then she starts to leave. And I wrote down. Um, he said, uh, "What was it?" Um, uh, uh, he calls her an empty-headed female with a mechanical face. And I, there's something about the mechanical face part stuck out to me. Maybe on the second watch of this, that's an odd thing to say. Yeah, definitely. Uh, given the, uh, <laughs> the premise of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he's basically like, please, please don't leave. 
And I think he asked her out to dinner, if I'm not mistaken, which is uh, kind of creepy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and she turns him down, and she's about to leave. Sorry, I'm throwing stuff over here. Did um, you break a clock? Was it was it sounding off, or was it a yes. Bolivar watch? And it just kept humming. And you're like, I can't take I can't take the humming. <laughs> and I broke it. Yeah. So uh, finally, he says, "I don't want to be alone. There's weird things happening," and uh, he reveals that he's. Uh, that there's something going on about the machines in his house. And she basically tells him that he needs to go see a doctor. And uh, he panics about going to see a doctor. He's like, that's everyone's fix for everything. And uh, she ends up leaving. Well, before she leaves, though, uh, the, she says, says something about this Mortal Kombat, which mm. is like the yeah, second two time weeks we've in heard, a row. Yeah, it's like, oh, another Mortal Kombat statement. You know, and I thought I was like, "That's odd," and and, and I'm pretty sure that those episodes weren't produced back to back, but it's just unique that we were talking about that last week, and that same thing shows up again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he admitted that he hasn't slept in four days. He's been day drinking, which I believe should be the solution for everything. So he's kind of out of sorts, you know. And then, um, whenever so then as she leaves, the typewriter starts typing by itself, which again creepy. But did you did you notice as the typewriter was typing that you heard the original Twilight Zone intro music from the first season mixed in there with some of the scoring? Like there no. was there was well, a very I, distinct. I know that they kind of slapped together some stock music and everything for this, so I, I'm not surprised that they wouldn't have just grabbed that. It was it was very on the nose, but I liked it. And then um, as the typewriter's typing, he the, the the pages are coming out, and it says, um, uh, "Was it? Why don't you get out?" Um, yeah, get out of here, Finchley. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, it's just type three times. Yeah, um, and again, I that that will be creepy to me. Like, so this episode, like t- before we go further, it's like there's elements here that feel like it's a stuff of nightmares, but it falls short. And and I don't know if it's because of his performance or just that like it, it comes off very tone deaf to begin with, you know. Like, and he's not a likable character, so there's nothing really to cheer for. You know, yeah. and, and but there's well, a lot, and yeah. also we are, I think, over 10 minutes into the episode mm-hmm. by the time this starts happening. So, you know, we we talk about these episodes just having such great pacing and just moving so fast and getting to the point. Whereas this really just it, it just it keeps repeating the same thing for like 10 minutes. And it's like, all right, we get it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, then- and so but I mean, once once things start going haywire in the house. Like this episode is a lot more fun. That's true. So after the typewriter, the TV comes on and it shows like a, a dancer dancing. And then she's saying, why don't you get out? Uh, you know, where was it? What the get out eventually. And as she's dancing, it's just like this big, like, you know, salsa number. I think it's salsa. I could be wrong, but it's very disconcerting because she's looking directly at him. It's saying, you know, why don't you get out eventually or get out eventually is what she says. And that to me again, will always creep me out whenever something that shouldn't be acknowledging you is looking directly at you and talking at you, you know? And, and I, and maybe, maybe it's just because as a kid, one of the movies that ruined me for a long time was poltergeist, you know? And just the, yeah. the idea of a TV as a gateway will always creep me out, you know? And this, then this really, it was kind of hitting some of those notes, you know? And, and just the repeated phrase over and over again, just that something about that is also very, uh, very bothersome to me. Yeah, well, it's like The Shining. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, the TV didn't talk to him, though, in The Shining, right? I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. Um, no, but the, the typewriter <laughs> yeah, the repeating typewriter. the same phrase and yes. everything. 
Um, so, so yeah, he, at that point, does he, uh, I think he breaks the TV at that point, doesn't he? He goes over and rushes it and, and hits it with a chair and breaks yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So he breaks the TV yet again, uh, ends up running upstairs and, uh, decides to, uh, take out his phone book and start calling some old uh, female companions. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually kind of a, a funny little bit because he gets the chance to to act the reactions where he's like, oh, I didn't hear. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah, I will send you a card. It's like implying that he's going through his like Rolodex of women that it's like people are getting married or people. It's just like it's just kind of that funny. Like he's that he's the bachelor trying to go out on a Friday night or whatever night it is. And, and there's nothing doing. And it's like that still is very universal. Like, yeah. that, like the you up, you out. Like, that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. And I, I actually like his response to all this. He ends up getting frustrated and blames the telephone and says that it's a device for embarrassing him furthermore or something like that. And, uh, he rips it from the wall and throws it onto the floor. And again, the phone starts telling him to get out. Yeah. Unplugged on the ground. Uh, creepy. Another creepy thing. I think that's the one that got me the most was just the phone. Cause again, there's something again and, and, and people I, like, you know, if you don't, if you're not familiar with an actual, you know, head, handset telephone like that there's a distance to that voice no matter what how no matter how clear it is there's a distance yeah and, and that is um again ingrained in me that that is very haunting you know and and i almost wish that this episode would have calmed down in terms of like him being so cartoonish and let more of the actual real fear of i live in this mechanical world and it's coming to get me you know and it just well i never get I, you. I, I think that really uh, speaks to one of the major problems with this. You, you said how unlikable as a character he is. Uh, his character goes nowhere. Yeah. He starts at a hundred and ends at a hundred, and there's no change in his persona. There's really no change in his uh, acting. There's no change in his emotions. It just, it, it's it's just turned to eleven the entire time. And it's goofy. And I, you know, I, I, sometimes I can enjoy that, but this episode tries to take itself really seriously in certain spots. And I think this would have been a really, really well remembered episode if it would have gotten a little bit darker in the performance. Yeah, absolutely. And then like, so, um, this is when he decides to go into the, the bathroom and this is, <laughs> this is like one of the, the best worst part of the episode for me as he goes into the bathroom and he goes to plug in his electric razor. And as he's getting ready, the razor, then it, 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 it starts buzzing at him like aggressively and it's, it, it actually levitates on its own, like a snake. And tries to attack him. And this is where the episode loses all like like credibility in terms of like, you know, I could see maybe the TV and the typewriter and the telephone being in his head somewhat, but like visualizing a razor like like snaking at you, like striking like a cobra. <laughs> it's so it's so bad, but also so so good. You know, like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, you t you said minimum overdrive. It makes me think of the electric uh, knife and maximum overdrive. That it suddenly yeah. gains its mind. It's like, you know what? All I'm going to do, I'm just going to cut people. I don't care. I'm not going to have a rational conversation. I know I'm aware of my existence. I'm built to cut. I'm cutting everybody up. You know, it was very, very weird. Yeah, I was trying to find out if uh, Stephen King was influenced by this episode. But there were no official 
quotes as far as I could find. I don't know if you found anything about that. Well, let, let's look, think about this. You got a guy who is kind of an unlikable guy that's a shut-in that uh, has very specific needs and wants, and, and, and technology is creeping in on him, and he can't handle it. And then you have a razor that's to try to attack him. And then much later, you have, and, and spoiler alert, a car that's chasing him. Uh, you, got, you, you, you can't think that Stephen King didn't see this at some point. Growing yeah, up, you know, but, like, but I'm surprised. Like, there were very little correlation between the two, as far as like on, online and articles or anything. Yeah. I was, I thought there would be more things comparing them, and I figured somebody at some point would have asked Stephen King about this episode. <laughs> but there's, there's really nothing. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'm sure he had seen it. And there's all um, the coke that Finchley did that you didn't see. No, I'm just joking. That's yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't, as far as I could tell, I don't think anyone got injured on this uh, set either. That's true. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So you reference the car. So a- after he gets out of the bathroom with the razor, uh, the Cobra razor, he hears sirens outside. So he ends up putting his robe on and stepping outside. And sure enough, his car had backed out of the driveway and almost hit a, uh, I think it was a little boy or something. Or another car, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and he he tells him too that a few days before the car stealing a uh, steering wheel had turned by itself and uh, hit the garage. So he's saying that the parking brake was fine, and the police officer is like, "No, there's something wrong with it. You need to get that <laughs> fixed." <laughs> and I like it. He tells, and he, there's, and again, it doesn't have any purpose other than to show his disdain for humanity. He keeps cutting yeah. to this one dopey looking kid eating a popsicle, <laughs> and it's great. He's like looking at this kid like he's like the most disgusting thing on earth. And then he kind of turns and looks at the crowd. He's like, "You have three minutes to keep marveling at this uh, before I come out with the keys to my car." And then basically, he's like, "I'll, I'll have this officer arrest." you and then he pauses and he's like idiots and he just walks into his house it was like like okay great we didn't like him now we hate him you know yeah (laughs) well i like there's the little girl there and uh her face when he says idiots is just like (laughs) it's it's amazing um if you go back and rewatch this episode just watch her reaction but yeah that, that little boy eating the popsicle was hysterical um, I was trying to find out who that was just because I thought maybe we'd have like another, uh, um, who was it in the one episode? Andy Griffith, um, not Andy Griffith. Um, no, Ron, Ron, Ron Howard. Howard. That's what it's I thought we'd have another situation like that. We're like, that kid grew up to be this one. <laughs> like what if it was like Bill Clinton as a kid? You're like, that's perfect. That would have been like, oh, one day he goes to come become president. You know, like that would have been awesome. Uh, but yeah, so eventually goes back in his house. And he, it's something, it, it, it cuts to, like, he's actually dressed, like, nice, because I think he's expecting to go out, and then, like, nothing actually happened. And so he starts drinking at night, which, again, that's the solution for everything. And he gets, like, just, he drinks an entire bottle of liquor, and ends up passed out on his couch. And then, um, I, I forget what it is that wakes him up, but he wakes up to something, because at this point, the whole house is out to get him, you know? Well, I, I think the clock goes off again. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. So he gets up and uh, he starts going up to his bedroom again, going up the steps. And we get to see the electric razor again coming down the snake or coming down the uh, steps like a snake <laughs> at him. <laughs> it's so it, funny. It's If you look quickly, you can see the fishing line pulling the razor. And that's that's fine. It's 1960. Like, how is she going to do it? Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 but it's so it's so it's so goofy but so it's 
it, by itself, like I almost wish that I could, like, I mean, I sh- I'm sure I have the power to do this, but if you just made like a gif of that, just coming down the stairs over and over again, like seeing his reaction would be perfect, but it doesn't do the episode justice in terms of what they're trying to get across. And yeah. it's, it just, it's very much like, like the, the, in the next bit where he, you know, he um, gets away from that rushes outside. Cause he's like yelling at the house. Like basically, you know, like, you know, you're not gonna get the best of me or whatever he says. And then he goes out there and the car starts chasing him. And then that is actually very terrifying again uh, for a moment. Then it gets very comedic just because it's just like the car, you know, the, <laughs> just all the different ways he tries to avoid the car is funny, but the car itself with the noise the engine was making was very scary. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie, uh, the car? No, I need to. Yeah. It's, it's got the similar thing. Like when, when that's done well, it is, very like very creepy um but i love that it just flashed its lights at him as soon as he came out of the house and it was it was pulled all the way up to the front steps like it was uh, it was very well done but run away from a car i always get frustrated when people run straight (laughs) like it's it's, isn't that the most frustrating thing i I wrote you can't outrun a car like don't run straight i wrote in my notes and i wrote all caps stay out of the roads you know like that's the big thing don't run straight stay out of the roads. cut to the side the thing can't turn that fast like yeah cut to the side jump a bush go in, back inside like <laughs> well there's a bit where he actually jumps over a, like a, a picket knife but, but like a wooden fence yeah and the yeah. car comes crashing to the right of him so it's not, i don't think it's him it's a stunt stunt double and that's a actually a really scary shot not as in like like uh from a horror standpoint just from a production standpoint because I'm sure it's all planned out and it's pulled off well but back then you couldn't fake a car crashing like that and so no. you had somebody barreling through a fence with someone off to the left. Yeah. But I mean, even that, he was running straight. Like, what did he think was going to happen? Like, of course, he was going to plow through it. Yeah. Um, but, of course, the the car drives into a giant pile of boxes, which is always great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just all you need is, like, either a pile of fruit or two guys carrying a, a piece of glass across the roadway. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> not the fruit stand. <laughs> I always love all the uh, Italian crime movies I watch. I always wait for the fruit stand scene. <laughs> During the car chases. <laughs> like, oh, that poor guy. <laughs> that was like, you know, that was his living. And now he's just ruined because yeah. someone. Or, to- or a newspaper stand. That's also. Yes. Fruit or a newspaper stand. Uh, um, but yeah, so the car flies into a giant mountain of boxes and uh, ends up chasing him through backyards. And it, it, it he dead ends at a swimming pool. And the car knocks him into the pool and he ends up drowning. So. That's the so that they they cut to the next like the next morning, and they're pulling his body out of the pool, and the one guy commenting about how he sank like a stone, and and they said that's weird, and so it's supposed to be implied, and I did not pick up on this at all, that the car actually landed on top of him and and actually like stayed on top of him in the bottom of the pool until later whatever people started like, you know, coming to around. So it's supposed to be applied that the car ran over him and actually ended up in the pool with him uh, because there's supposed to be some kind of like moisture or something dripping off the car. I could not see it. Yeah. When they, uh, the first shot of the next day, I believe is the tailpipe just dripping water, okay. not, not dripping water, but just pouring water out of the tailpipe. So I, it's not totally clear. Like I didn't really even catch it until you said it, but, um, that that's definitely what that means. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, because I mean, I, I watched it twice. I couldn't pick up on it, but yeah. So he died, and basically the whole episode is this guy thought machines were out to get him. Uh, he may or may not be right, <laughs> you know. Ultimately, because like the only person to witness this going on was him, um, and and they got him, and that's it. That's your episode. Like so, if the twist is that machines were out to get him, then that was pretty pretty obvious from the beginning, you know. And I don't know. That's it. That's that's another reason. It's like there was no big like kind of winking of like could have happened or the next person would look kind of like, you know, like a, a slanted view at machinery, you know, or, or even they could have brought back the secretary, maybe have her, you know, something happened to her. You know, I don't know. But that's it. It was just the end of the episode. And that's your story. Yeah, it didn't have that moment. Well, I guess. I, I was going to bring back the sand falling out of his shoes on King Nine will return. Um, I, I guess the water pouring out of the tailpipe would have been that kind of moment where it's like, eh, maybe it did happen, but it's definitely not as strong as that ending. And I didn't even necessarily think that was that strong of an ending. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that says about this one. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, I mean, so before I get into what Serling said about the episode, which you will find funny, um, I it just, I was really excited to talk to you about this episode just because of the ideas and some of the the imagery, not necessarily the visuals, but I guess just the idea of like the TV talking to him and the telephone talking to him, like that whole thing works really well. But I feel like the rest of the episodes let down. Like I feel like that you're right. This could have been something that was like iconic Twilight Zone, and then I I don't know what happened. You know, it just it's it's bothersome to me to see such a strong swing and a complete miss. Yeah, I I just think, like you said, the the first half of this episode is really verbose, and it just it, it takes a while to get going. So I think just watching Finchley be a snob and be a terrible human, um, it grates on you. Yeah. So and then him not really having a character arc in this, other than uh, just getting more and more drunk and more and more angry the entire time is not it does not make for good character development <laughs> you know so i and i i don't think he's a memorable character like no. i just uh, you know he he's got moments that are kind of funny like you talked about the phone uh with him calling up all of his lady friends and everything like that was kind of charming but other than that like it, it's just nobody really puts in that good of a performance the the effects are cool um, it's got moments that I think have gone on to inspire a lot of other stories and a lot of other cliches that we see that are good cliches for a reason. Um, but I just, I think the episode is bottom heavy. It just doesn't have that aha moment. Like so many of Serling's great screen teleplays do. Yeah. Cause I feel like there's some of his stuff has a really strong eye to the future and this one points at like, you know, this guy, like it says somewhere in the Sterling intro that either he was born too early or born too late. And mm -hmm. like the idea of Finchley existing now, like how uncomfortable he would be with just like a smartphone near him, you know, like, yeah. and that's, and, or even like the internet, you know, would like completely be, you know, something that would be like just terrifying, you know? And, um, and I feel like, this could have been that whole, like, be careful uh, what you wish for in terms of the comforts of, of, you know, of the future or the now that, you know, one, they may, they may eventually turn on you or they may own you, but I never quite got that, you know? And 
uh, other than he was abusive towards his television and his radio, yeah, you know, and his radio yeah. and his clock. It just has those seeds, you know. He's he's kind of uh, oh, I can't think of the word I was going to say. Uh, he just somebody that's not changing with technology. He's a luddite. You know, a a yeah. luddite. Like, yeah. luddite. Um, it came to me right as you were saying it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's got that feeling, but it doesn't it doesn't outright go as far as I think it should have. I don't I don't know. It's such a strange episode. Like I almost feel like if he, like I said at the beginning of the episode he the guy he's getting his TV repaired again and he talked about his radio being repaired. You'd think that it would be I think it'd be way more interesting of a story if um you know like his TV's just destroyed, his radio's destroyed and his assistant as much as she's frustrated with him sees he's out of sorts and then as he's like trying to do something she's like the doorbell rings it's like hey don't worry I ordered you another television. He'd been like what did you do? You know like <laughs> that would have been like that would have been kind of interesting to be like, Oh, don't worry. I'm helping you. We took care of this. You're getting more technology, whatever. Like that would have been great to kind of be bringing him more into him. Be like, Oh, this one's actually twice as big as the one he had before. You know, it's like th- that kind of thing, you know, like it would have been, it would have been interesting to bring more panic. If like more technology was showing up that he could not control, you know? Yeah. And, um, I think that'd <laughs> be yeah, funny. There's, there's just so many uh, good little seeds, like ideas in yeah. here that, when you think about it should work, but I think a lot of this was just rushed and not fully fleshed out. So with that being said, I'll read the two things Sterling said about this episode. Uh, one's about the inspiration and one's a response to a letter or to a sponsor. And, 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 and forgive me, I will not have the same dictation as Mr. Sterling here. So bear with me. Uh, he said this one I got trying uh, while trying to shave with a razor during a given morning when three appliances in my home gave out a washer, a dryer, and a television set. It occurred to me how absolutely vulnerable we are to gadgets, gimmicks, and electronic gym crackery. That is a surling word. I love it. Uh, <laughs> then the progression took the form of a story involving a man whose appliances became entities. And instead of just stopping on, uh, on him, they, um, they went the full route of, and actually, uh, remonstrated against him. Uh, and so that's what he said about the inspiration. And then when someone wrote to him, like a sponsor about the quality of the episode, he said, um, unfortunately the show did not live up to its potential. Uh, Mr. Finchley drowned in a swimming pool upon reflecting. I wish I had before I wrote this bloody thing. Jeez. <laughs> oh, and that's a very surling, like self deprecating, like, you know, I had a great idea. I just didn't turn out the way I wanted. And I, and I wish I didn't do it. You know, and for him to admit when things fall short is one of the reasons why I, I love his work. Yeah. Well, again, probably not much time for rewrites. So no. it's just like, got the idea. Let's get this going, you know, and usually he's got that punch to follow through with it. Um, pun intended to his boxing career. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but at this one, it just seems like it was like, well, all right, the effects will be good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's, that's it. So, um, just to bring up something that's running currently going on in the world to tie into this is, uh, the self-driving cars, like they're being tested right now. So there was a study, um, at uh, Virginia tech, I think, yeah, Virginia techs, uh, they, they did a study where they had somebody uh, dress up as a car seat and, and get into a minivan and drive with their hands below the door panel. So it looks like the car is just driving by itself. <laughs> and just to see how society would react to seeing a self-driving vehicle, and they were collecting just information of how people were interacting with the car that looked like it was driving itself. 
And I think it's just interesting because we are testing autonomous cars and this is going to become a thing in one way or another, but it's almost kind of like not a prank, but just to see how human beings react to seeing a car without a driver driving around. Uh, and that's a study that's going on and there's all sorts of like silly reactions to it. It's funny, but it does kind of show you a lot about what's going on. But I like the idea. There's a guy dressed as a car seat, just driving around. Like, you know, yeah. If, if you want a good laugh, go check out on YouTube. People do that and go through drive throughs Yes. It's hysterical. <laughs> and it's funny because when they asked the persons doing the, the study, they said, have you seen these videos? And they were inspired by the guy doing the drive through pranks to do this as a study. Nice. <laughs> and, and, and the guy who does the drive through pranks is actually, it's pretty good because the people, they have some really good reactions to him, like not like supposedly not being in the car or whatever. So yeah, um, it's just, it's the further we go along, no matter what, people are always going to be wary of the thing they don't understand, you know, and, and I feel like, like we are living in a society now, and I would have talked about this during Black Mirror, uh, our episode about Black Mirror, just all the technology around us that we don't often think about how, like how much we're dependent upon, but also how easy it could turn on us, you know? And yeah. it's, and, and, th- and you talk about the seeds of stories. There's a lot of this, this here. Um, but I just wonder how Sterling would feel about today. You know, like I just, it makes me wonder. Yeah. I think this episode done today, like this would make for a good black mirror episode. Um, just with, uh, you know, you're talking about the internet and everything. And I think this episode could be even more terrifying using the technology of today. And, uh, I, it's, I always find it interesting. Uh, there was all the studies with robots as they're building, uh, robots in these colleges and everything on, uh, like testing them with people and seeing how they react to like uh, the design of them and their faces and everything. Mm-hmm. Cause like the more human like ones creep people out cause the whole uncanny Valley and everything. Um, so you end up with half of them that look like Pixar robots just because it's <laughs> easier to look at. Yeah. But I, I think doing an episode today uh, based on this premise would be quite terrifying. Well, and I mean, we get, an, we get the, late 80s one with maximum overdrive which is basically the same thing um yeah but i i would love to see this done today well there's a 70s film that we've even mentioned it on the show here that the uh demon seed i think is the name of it where it's about the smart house that actually oh, yeah. has the woman and then preg- impregnates her i don't know how that happens but it's been a while <laughs> since i've seen the movie but it feels like even more so now that's something that could be ripe for a really interesting remake because the smart fo- smart home is a reality you know, and maybe not completely like that, but it's it's close. And also, not that you've seen it, there is uh, a portion of an episode, of the Christmas special of Black Mirror called White Christmas, that kind of deals with some of these ideas. That's very upsetting, and oh, nice. um, and I, I can't wait for you to get to that. But uh, uh, it's just I feel like there's a lot of rich material here, um, that just it it deserves better than this. But there's bits here enough for me to not dismiss it completely. And and knowing that this is the same guy that directed Execution, which is also a weird episode. The story is much stronger there, but it's a bizarre episode. It's like how much, like what could he do with what he had, you know? And I just wonder, you know, like what more could you have done with this at the time outside of a story element to make it an interesting episode? Yeah, it's 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 also weird, you know, comparing it to Execution, his previous work on the show. Like, I think execution is a stronger story. And I feel like I've been just uh, piling on about problems with this episode. But this is a really fun episode. 
Like, I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but, like, uh, you know, the first 10 minutes is kind of sketchy to get through. But once you get to all the uh, electronics going haywire and everything, like, this is a really fun episode to watch. It doesn't pack the powerful punch, like I said, of some of the some of the more classic Serling episodes. But, like, this is an easy, fun watch. If I, if I had, like, a playlist of, like, the goofier Twilight Zone stuff where you sit with friends and watch it and, and kind of make fun of it as it goes along, this would be perfect, you know? Yeah. Like, especially for people that may have never seen it before, so when you get to the Razor, just to watch their reactions would be so much fun, right? So yeah. I'll give you that. Like, the we have seen uh, much uh, more, like, just, I don't know, bland and not interesting episodes than this. And it's worth the discussion. I just don't know how much discussion you can have about this because it's a very thin episode with, with interesting haunting elements, but it's at the end of it, you just kind of want to be like, well, that happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things too, while I'm watching it, I'm trying to pick apart like a message or a theme, you know, and there's little bits here and there, but overall it just, it just kind of falls flat. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really know what Serling was trying to say with this. You know, you can make a bunch of little thoughts about it, but overall, it doesn't have that that lesson to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we watched it, and I will always say that I'm, I will watch anything Twilight Zone, of course, because we're going to. Um, yeah. And I appreciate that. But it, again, this is one of those ones, like you said before, about like like the big tall wish that if you were like flipping through, may not have been the one you landed on. Yeah, but but you know, like that's that's the whole point of this, right? Is that there's a lot of there's a lot of highs, and we're getting to some of the big ones soon. I promise you. Uh, but then there's some of these that are kind of like, well, that that's there you go. That was part of the season, you know. So that's that. That's all I got to say about Mr. Finchley and a thing about machines. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'm going to say is I kind of like the title, though. You know, flipping through it's it doesn't give anything away. I this could have been about robots or robots, excuse me. Um, a robot. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> I I threw a softball. There you go, you did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a softball that but, whistled and curved and ran around in a circle because the mighty Casey threw it. But that's another thing. All right, yeah. But the but yeah, so I mean, it's it's an interesting title, and it. it it leaves a lot up to the imagination. But, but I really feel like if after watching the episode, how kind of loose it is, he's yeah. like, what the hell do I, it's a, it's a, just, it's a thing about machines. Just, and someone's like, okay. That, right. And he's like, wait, you made that the title. Like I could see him being like, that's not what I meant. You know, like, uh, but yeah, it's, it's fine. You know, I, and speaking of titles though, the one for next week leaves me completely excited. Cause I have no idea what it means. And I'm, you know, that's I'll I'll tease that. But, yeah. uh, but I guess I guess we'll just do the twist for what it's worth because it's I mean it is a oh, show on Strange Highways. <laughs> a, a one? <gasps> like I don't know what to like a a zero because there's no twist. I mean other than it really you know it just it never really stopped about him hating machines and machines not liking him. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I have to make any twist, well, I guess there would be two. Because when he's told that he needs to go see a doctor by his secretary, she leaves, the typewriter starts typing, and you find out that it is probably real. I don't know. So that's sort of a twist. But, I mean, that's so early on the episode. That's basically just (laughs) the plot starting. Um, But I guess the twist would be the water coming out of the tailpipe. But we already knew the car was chasing him. You know, like Yeah, but... 
I mean, we've seen episodes where it's not real. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. You're trying to I'm, be way nicer than this episode deserves in terms. Yeah, of I'm gonna give it a one too. <laughs> it, it, Come to one land. It's 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 nice and uh, mild down here. I was trying to work it up to a two, but I <laughs> I don't think it deserves it. Yeah. So I was trying to talk myself into it. Yeah. So that yeah, that's that's it for a thing about machines. Uh, um, so before we get on to, to talking about briefly about the next episode, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Uh, you can email us or leave us voicemails over at Strange Highways Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, find us on Facebook. Join in the conversation on there. Um, I do have the Tumblr up. It still needs some work, but it is there. So if you want to follow that, um, you can subscribe to us on. Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, <laughs> Stitcher, <laughs> Satchel, uh, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find us on there. And then if you would rate and review us on those uh, on iTunes and all of those uh, places, we'd much appreciate it. Absolutely. So next episode is The Howling Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm going I'm to read the teaser for it. So um, I'm going to try my best. So I'm not, I'm not going to do a Serling because I cannot do Serling. But uh, it says, down this hall is a very strange individual in a room. He's known by various names and by various forms. And next week on the Twilight Zone, you'll be close. Uh, God damn it. You'll, you'll be close to the elbow of the people who let him out. Uh, our story is called The Howling Man by Mr. Charles Beaumont. It's designed for the young at heart, but the strong of nerve. I hope we'll see you next week along with The Howling Man. I just hope it's this guy's screaming. That's all I hope it is. Just like he's terrified by the future. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm yeah. I'm really pumped. We got the return of Charles Beaumont, the return of Douglas Hayes. We got John Carradine coming in. Like it's a horror premise. Uh, it involves the devil. I am so excited. <laughs> yeah, and then the week after that, we have Eye of the Beholder. So oh yeah, yeah. man. This is this is going to be a good stretch here. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah. Till till uh, next time. Um, I guess I don't know. Be afraid of machines, except for your smartphone or whatever you listen to podcasts on. Don't be afraid of that because it brings you good things. But I wouldn't trust electric razors. They're they're dicks. We don't, we find yeah. that out. It's crazy. Just this morning, uh, iTunes updated all my podcasts by itself. Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> Why don't you get out of here, Finchley? Why don't you get out of here, Finchley? Get out of here, Finchley! Get out of here, Finchley! <laughs>